Hey everybody, welcome back to the Down in the Heat podcast. I'm your host Rob, podcasting to you live from snowy yet still beautiful Minneapolis. Northeast Minneapolis, that is. <laughs> and uh, welcome to 2023. We got smacked in the face here in Minneapolis with, believe it or not, the 13th largest two-day snow event since they've been recording these things in, I think, back to 1884. I was frankly shocked by that because memories of childhood, it it seemed like every year we had one of these uh, 12-inch plus snow events where Maybe school wasn't closed because they just never closed school back then. Or because it happened on the weekend or whatever. But it was one of those things where you felt like you were endlessly shoveling the driveway. And having these huge heaps of snow, especially along the side streets. And as a kid, I'd burrow into these things and make kind of like these snow forts and stuff. And we'd have snowball fights and all that around the the snow forts and eventually cave them in on <laughs> one of the hapless participants. Uh, but yeah, so it's kind of interesting too, though, how these kind of shared miseries have a a sense of community about them. You have people helping each other out, uh, you know, getting your car unstuck or, or just shoveling your neighbor's driveway. Or if you, if I'm, I'm a shoveler, I've never had a snowblower. Um, and I'm starting to wonder how many more years I can go on just shoveling (laughs) because I'm getting kind of old. I mean, I can still do it and it's, um, but I, I do notice that I get tired out more easily. I have to take a couple breaks, especially this was that kind of heart attack snow. But we have a, a neighbor that lives, uh, I don't know, five houses to the north of us. And he comes down the hill with his big four-stage snowblower or whatever and and blows the whole sidewalk down the, down the block and back. So, I mean, that's a huge help. And, uh, but... You know, that's kind of the scuttlebutt. Everyone's talking about their commute. Did they get stuck? Did their car start? Did their... <laughs> Whatever. It's, uh, it's, I guess, water cooler community, community building stuff to some degree. But enough about the weather. You're here to talk about gaming. And uh, here I talked about some of my podcasting plans. And today I'm going to kick it off with a deep dive into... Gavin Norman's Old School Essential advanced uh, box set that I got on a Kickstarter. But first, let's have a conversation with some uh, some people and uh, address some of these calls that I got since my last episode. And lest I forget, at the top of the show, appropriately enough for delving, starting the delve into this kind of indie project... 
We have the indie version of the Down in a Heap theme song brought to you by Aaron the NPC, so thanks, Aaron. But now, let's go to Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, leading off the bank of calls. Take it away, Jason. Hey, Rob, Jason here. Just listen to your last podcast of 2022. You know, condolences. We, we had kind of talked before about that. Um... But I, I am very sorry for you. Um, as far as the other stuff, yeah, I look forward to hearing about how you're gaming in 2023 and how your prep for 2024 goes. I also got the Hyperborea, I got the Leather Mound stuff, and very cool. I don't know if I'll ever get it to the table as a GM, to be honest, maybe. Who knows? I am doing the Dungeon 23 thing where you draw a dungeon room a day and every month it becomes a separate level. So I'm kind of curious how that turns out. We'll see. I may even start up a blog to post those pictures at some point, but it's not going to happen quite yet because I just don't have the time. <laughs> I guess that's part of our, our, always our problem, right? Time. As far as people exploiting the system when you're talking about, you know, your proposed hit point thing, uh, you, you know, the school of hard knocks. I, I think that bothers the GM more than anybody else for the most part, to be honest. I think it's mostly GMs that get frustrated with that. But the GM's a player, too, and their feelings matter, so we need to look at that. I hope you do get more guests on the show, but regardless of what you do, I'm looking forward to what happens with Down in the Heap in 2023. And I also look forward to hopefully recording some more Universal Monster episodes with you. So take care of yourself, have a happy new year, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for the call, Jason. I appreciate it, and absolutely we'll get back on the horse and uh, do some more universal monster talks here gearing up uh, for the wolf man we need to release that on a full moon right I think (laughs) Uh, as far as the other things yeah dungeon 23 that's that along with um, all the chatter about the latest quote unquote leak of the revised or rejiggered OGL from Wizards of the Coast. That that seems to be like the huge conversations going around on Discord, on YouTube, on podcasts. So I, even me living in uh, uh, kind of isolation <laughs> or something, I don't know. I, I never feel like I'm very plugged in. I've heard of all that stuff too. The Dungeon 23 I've heard about secondhand. I haven't read the original as far as I know. This is something that Sean McCoy, who I think he's the the person behind the Mothership RPG, proposed this on his blog and the concept being that you, in 2023, that's why it's called Dungeon 23, uh, he's kind of issued this challenge or this kind of idea of working on a mega dungeon throughout the year and detailing a room every day and a level every month so by the end of the year you have i don't know 12 a 12 level mega dungeon with 365 rooms or whatever so and a lot of people are doing it um on some of the discords i'm in there are separate channels devoted to the Dungeon 23. I know uh, 
Michael, the Chicago Wiz, over at the Dungeon Masters Handbook podcast, has uh, dived into that and talked about it there. You can certainly hear more about it there. Ray Otis over in Plundergrounds has also been talking about it on his podcast, and I'm sure other people have brought it up too. Um, so it's an interesting idea. I don't know if, you know, I'm just not uh, the biggest fan of Mega Dungeons. So, and I know other people, it sounds like, are are using this, and rather than working on a Mega Dungeon, they're working on a city or working on a wilderness or something, but following the same kind of idea of doing these little incremental things every day, kind of chipping away at this big project. And on some level, I really like the idea of this this daily exercise and it probably would be good for me as far as helping me with my organization helping me with uh, just staying on task and dedicated and trying to to work on habits but I'm just one of those people where my creativity comes in big geysers or something where I'll have these moments where I just work furiously on something for a day or two, you know, it's like, that's all I seem to be able to think about is some idea I've had or some project that I just want to work on. And I try and I just like go through it. And at other times I'm thinking about it a lot and maybe jotting down a few notes, but it just hasn't kind of formulated in my head yet. Um, and then I'll go through these long dry spells where I just, I'm not at all in a creative mood. So I don't know if this is the type of setup that would really work for me. Uh, but like I said, it might be something that would help me work through these blocks or or just change my uh, my methodology. I don't know. I, I might... I might try it on something other than a mega dungeon for a month and, and see if it's something where it's it becomes something I resent because that's an issue with me too. I, I just if something becomes an obligation, I usually end up resenting it and then hating it. So, <laughs> uh, so it might not work for me, but yeah, it's something that is certainly out there and. Uh, as far as the OGL stuff, uh, I know you didn't bring it up, but I'm bringing it up. I just don't know enough about it to really have much of an opinion yet. And uh, who knows if this is even a real thing or if it's just, you know, it's all based on this quote-unquote leak. And some have postulated that it's Wizards of the Coast just kind of floating this idea to see what the reactions are going to be. Um and uh, if if that was the plan, I, it it blew up in their face because it seems right now, at least what from what I see, it's uh, kind of a PR nightmare that they've they've got going. Of course, I don't really uh, inhabit the circles of Five E and Wizards of the Coast fandom. Really, I'm I see more people that are you know in the OSR scene and not really. Uh, big proponents of 5e and and uh and uh and wizards so that obviously skews what i'm exposed to but uh yeah if if this is true and uh and wizards actually does go through with it this is going to be um 
it's going to change the landscape quite a bit. And I, I hope it doesn't adversely affect any of the creators out there. I, I don't know how it couldn't. They'd have to really rework some of the stuff I think that they've put out. But, but I don't think anything that Wizards does will really stand in the way of creativity. I mean, they're never going to be able to just come to your house and say, you can't do this. Um, as long as you're just doing it for your own self and your group, by all means, toil away. Create to your heart's content. Let's see, what else did you talk about there? I'm, I'm going off into the weeds already. Um, oh, the, uh, the idea of um, people taking advantage or finding loopholes, gaming the system... People, players doing that, having it bug the GM more than anyone else. That might be true. I don't know. I'm always hesitant to really categorize and generalize people based on their roles in the game or like, you know, oh, the, there's like seven types of players. You know, you see all these articles and stuff and I don't know. I I know it's it, people love to categorize things and myself, I'm raising my hand here too. I like to do it as well. Um, I think there might be an element of truth to that because it's the DM that's generally floating these, these house rules or these little changes they make to the system. And if they see one of the players gaming it or twisting it or finding a loophole and otherwise just kind of, um, bending the spirit of the rule and the spirit of the game. Yeah. I think it tends to probably stick in the craw of the person that created this, I, or came up with this idea or floated this rule change or whatever and to see it bended, bent in a, a way they don't really like or see as a, um, a perversion of that idea or rules. Yeah, it's going to probably bother that the person that created it more than anyone else. I, that's totally understandable. But as a player, I mean, it's hard for me to take off my referee cap uh, as a player, but I do play a lot, and I've been playing way, way more than I DM for the last few years. And it bugs me, too, as a player, when I see someone twisting a rule or something to their favor. Um, yeah, I think there are, I think a lot of players, it bugs them, too, when, when there's one or two or a minority of the people at the table that that seem to disregard the spirit of the game or something for their own personal, the benefit of their, their role in the game or something. Anyway, it's, you know, for the most part, you're playing with your friends and it's, uh, something where you generally can have a conversation with these people and work it out. Right. And, uh, express how you feel about it and, and come to some accord. Right. So it's usually, not an issue at my tables. We just hammer it out. We maybe give someone a hard time for, <laughs> for like, oh yeah, you're trying to game the system yet again. But hey, people enjoy games in different ways. And uh, so you just have to kind of accept that. Anyway, uh, thanks for the call. Let's move on. We've got Daniel from Bandit Skeep here with a few calls uh, about the last episode. Hey Rob, Daniel from Bandit Skeep calling in. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. I'm sorry to hear about Herm. That's that's terrible. Yeah. 
it's interesting, you know, how close we get to the the animals, right? That are that are in our home. They become basically part of the family and just something that you see and you're used to seeing there. So I, I've been there. Yeah, it's not easy. It sounds like, um, as far as RPG stuff's going, you got a a good haul. <laughs> uh, White Box Fantasy Medieval. That's like one of the uh, favorite games of one of my players. He runs it all the time. I've played it many times. Really good system. Really simple. If you like the the simplicity of OD and D, I am actually interested in maybe a deep dive into the advanced OSE because I got to tell you, I'm gonna send another message. I kind of bounced off of the advanced stuff when it was first. Actually, when he very very first started working on it, he was looking for playtesters, and I played tested a little bit of it. And I know it's changed quite a bit since then, but I, you know, I backed the Kickstarter the first time and got the advanced books. <laughs> I did it again because I, I want to support Gavin. He's amazing. Uh, but, you know, I, I just, every time I looked at it, I'm just thinking, I don't really want this or need this in my BX. So I'm curious what, um, what your take is on it. You know, that being said, and it, it, it wasn't right right around now, I'm kind of been slimmed back a lot and playing OD&D. But at the time that I first looked at him and kind of bounced off of it, I was playing Swords and Wizardry complete. So I was using Paladins and stuff. I don't know. It just didn't. Uh, it just didn't feel like the BX I wanted. I also bounced up Advanced Labyrinth Lord too, so it's not just OSC. <laughs> Long winded as always. So yeah, I'm I'm super curious uh, what you have to say about that. And I I haven't uh, started anything with Planet Eris yet, so uh, I'll probably also be starting this year with that. We'll see. There is that Dungeon Twenty Three thing. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, if Keith loves Mega Dungeons, maybe you guys could talk about that a little bit too. I think it's really interesting. I think Mega Dungeons and Gonzo and Weird, these are all like super interesting terms. And I think they're the kind of thing that everyone kind of, well, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people kind of think they know what they mean by that. But then when you're talking to somebody else, you're not always speaking the exact same language. So yeah, I'm curious about that too. I'm, you've got me wondering what I would consider Weird versus Gonzo, because I do think there's a difference. In any case, it was great to hear from you again. Uh, I hope you, uh, this, is, this is New Year's Eve when I'm sending this. Uh, I guess shortly after you recorded the thing. So uh, have a great night tonight, and I hope to hear from you again in January. Hey, thanks for the calls, Daniel. I appreciate it. That, of course, is Daniel from Bandit's Keep, Media Empire, and the Monster and Treasures, Monster and Treasure podcast. And I think A Voice is another podcast of his that I need to check out, or maybe it's YouTube. I I don't know. I, I need to find out about that as well. Uh, and I'm... I'm being so long-winded here. Uh, I think I'm going to slam on the brakes. And uh, sorry for the bait and switch, but I think I'm just going to dedicate this to a like a, a mini Colin Bonanza and have a separate episode where I start my, my deep dive into advanced OSE. Otherwise, this is going to be uh, an hour-long episode, which isn't necessarily bad, but if people come for the deep dive it's maybe best to have a show dedicated to the deep dive. And it's probably going to be, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be like a half dozen shows for the deep dive. Um, probably one for the monsters, one for the treasure, one for the spells, or maybe one for the illusionist spells, one for the druid spells. And then maybe breaking up the, the classes into two or three different podcasts or something. So that's kind of the, the plan. It's not going to be nearly as long as the the deep dive into BX, <laughs> nor will it take uh, more than a year to accomplish. <laughs> I'm hoping to have it done by the end of 
February. I'll set that as my my loose goal. And yeah, um, I definitely, speaking back to what Jason was talking about too, I definitely want to have more guests on the show and I'd like to, I haven't really broached this with Keith yet, but I, I think he'd be amenable to it. Um, maybe having a monthly appearance with Keith um, where we talk about various you know, ideas, especially ones I think where we maybe have differing views. I think Keith and I have really similar um, outlooks in from a, a really general point of view on gaming, and our preferences are pretty similar in a lot of a lot of ways. But we do have some areas where we I think look at things a little bit differently, and I think those might be the more interesting topics to to talk about with him. Um, I don't think we're really diametrically opposed on on many things, if anything, but we, yeah, we, I think we do have a, a little bit different ideas on, on, especially things like, um, Gonzo and weird. I think if I think of it a little bit as of a continuum where if on, on the like left hand side of the continuum is something like pure simulation, like you were trying to just duplicate what it historically was like to live in late antiquity or medieval or late medieval or even renaissance or something and your and your game just had like no elements of the supernatural um and it was just yeah trying to basically be a simulation or something that would be like one end of this extreme and the other end of the extreme would just be general like wackiness where nothing really it almost like law and chaos or something to some degree i don't know um and if somewhere in the middle is something like tolkien like the lord of the rings like that's kind of the baseline for a lot of a lot of people <coughs> excuse me and i think if you veer to the right you start getting into the elements of the weird and beyond the weird is the gonzo and then if to me if you tip the scale in gonzo too far you get to farce and whimsy and border you start getting into the kind of the ridiculous for me where where it might be fun for a session or two or three i don't know depending on the group and who's running the game and just your what you're in the mood for it might be lots of fun but in general that type of stuff uh wears thin with me very quickly because that's not really the type of the game i really want aim for um anyway i'm <laughs> again i'm in a, a rambling mood today or something so i apologize for that but uh yeah so anyway my i i hope to get keith on on a fairly regular basis i hope to do some tandem podcasts with uh, other people. And there were uh, quite a few people that reached out to me when I was talking about doing Friend Fridays and OSR October. So, you know, all those people that did, I'd love to do some some tandem casts with you in the year. I'd love to still get Brian, Adam, Chris, any of my other gaming friends on and talk about whatever topic uh, they're passionate about and want to 
want to discuss. Uh, so, yeah, I'm hoping I can do some more collaborations. I still need to figure it out. <laughs> but, uh, hmm, am I forgetting anything that Daniel mentioned? Well, I'm already, yeah, rambling. Let's go on. I got some calls from the Pink Phantom about fighters. Wait a minute. Before we go to the Pink Phantom, yeah, Advanced OSE and bouncing off of it and bouncing off Advanced Labyrinth Lord. I totally get that, Daniel. Um, I think people come to the game, to a BX game, in part because they want a really stripped-down, more streamlined type of game than what you get in the Advanced version of the game and that, and that branch of the game where you add all these different subclasses, where you add a bunch of spells and tons of monsters and all that stuff. Uh, so I, I get that. And to some degree, I, I think a lot of those classes that developed in AD&D and beyond are kind of superfluous. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I especially like the fighter subclasses and stuff, can you not just, like, have little things that your fighter does. I'm an outdoorsy fighter. I'm a, a chivalric fighter. I'm a, a fighter that grew up in a a barbarian tribe. I'm a fighter that uh, is attached to a holy order. I, I mean, I think you can do all that stuff. Uh, without having a bunch of different subclasses. But that said, if nostalgia is in play, I probably have more nostalgia for AD&D than any other version of the game. There's a big element of it to BX because that was the first thing that was my introduction to RPGs, to this hobby, was getting the Moldvay basic set. And, uh, I'll, I mean, some, those memories are kind of seared into my brain. But even more so because I played way more AD&D uh, and way more second edition AD&D than I did BX. We kind of, like, BX got <clears throat> pushed to the side pretty quickly in our, in our, the groups of gamers I had. I think as, a, as young kids and teenagers, we or older kids, whatever, we were a lot more... The, the appeal of the more complex, involved game made us feel like we were more sophisticated <laughs> and playing the grown-up version of the game, right? Even though I did like some of the elements of BX more, the some of the game systems and stuff made more sense to me um, and were easier to use at the table. And some of that art and stuff, I mean, it, that's... Not, I mean, there's a lot of really cool art in AD&D, too, um, and a lot more of it. But So anyway, yeah, the part of the appeal for old-school, essential, advanced is that it does kind of uh, bring these two things together. Because I think there were a lot of uh, gamers out there that took a lot of the stuff from AD&D, but used... The, like the mechanics from basic. It was all kind of one big stew that a lot of 
gamers played. Uh, the lines were blurred. For some, I know I've heard them talk about like they they thought they were two totally different things. Like you couldn't use you couldn't play X One Isle of Dread with A D and D when of course you you can. But uh, but anyway, the the idea of Gavin Norman like taking. Uh, a lot of the stuff from AD&D and reimagining it from a BX mechanical and power level point of view has a strong appeal. And yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to explore it and why I think it's worth going into a deep dive on it. So, all right, enough of that. And now we will get to the pink phantom of the Phantom Thoughts podcast. Hey, Rob, the pink phantom here. I was listening to your last episode and you talking about how you thought the fighter ended up being underpowered as as characters leveled up. And I wonder if a way to uh to kind of circumvent that would be to kind of take a take a page from how the fighters when they had the higher ability scores, sometimes they can get a dexterity bonus higher than other characters can, like a in I know in uh I think it's the the BX system. Other characters max out at a plus two to their dexterity bonus versus a three or four if the fighter has the higher ones. And of course, in AD&D strength, the percentage strength that only the fighters can have, they can get some really good bonuses there. So I was thinking along those lines, maybe the fighter could get bonuses for essentially lower ability scores in the in the physical ability scores. Uh, dexterity, constitution, and strength, where they would kind of have to be, it would be, have to be their strong suit. Uh, I don't know if you just would start the bonuses earlier, say they start getting bonuses if they have an eight or a nine, and then the bonuses go up higher as you go along, or maybe it could be something like, you know, you could have their level count towards their towards their ability score. So if they have a, if a third level fighter had a, strength of 15 say and then they get the bonus for the for being for 18 strength something along those lines just a thought hey thanks for the calls phantom i appreciate it and yeah i do think that the fighter in bx uh, especially to a lesser degree in ADD, but especially in bx is um definitely needs some help uh, mainly because of the dwarf, the existence of the dwarf player character class. There's really, aside from just like role-playing, wanting to play a fighter, wanting to play a human rather than a dwarf, there, there's just... Or if you <laughs> have your heart dead set on using a two-handed sword or a longbow, there's no reason to choose the human fighter. It's... Only 10% more earned experience to or experience points to advance in level as the dwarf. And yet the dwarf gets infravision, mining stuff. Um, they get a few more languages. And best of all, they start out with the saving throws of like what is the equivalent of a seventh level fighter. So they're, they're so much more likely to survive than a human fighter because of the infravision and because of the saving throws. Inevitably, you're going to have saves versus poison, saves versus spells, saves versus petrification. And the dwarf and the halfling 
are better, so much better than the human fighter. And as far as like the upper limit, well, the fighter can go to 14th level, the dwarf can go to 12th. That The only difference is six hit points, because you start getting like plus three hit points per level. So there's just no reason. So unless you do something to beef up the fighter, uh, unless you rolled a constitution below nine, because you need a nine constitution as a dwarf. So the ideas that you have here, that what you're p- pointing out that isn't in BX. There is no differentiation for ability scores based on class, which is one of the things I actually liked about BX rather than advanced. Advanced, there was... There was no logic uh, for the bonuses. They didn't, they didn't follow the same pattern. So a 15 uh, in every ability score got you a bonus, except strength didn't do anything. You had to get a 16, and then it was only plus one on damage. And a 17 was like plus one to hit, plus one to damage. Other than like opening doors, bending bars, all that gobbledygook, There was nothing really that you got until you got really high. And then, as you point out, if you were a fighter and you did have that 18 strength, which is just luck, right? Um, Then you also got to roll the exceptional strength, which, you know, just put you like in the stratosphere compared to the other ability scores. So that was really weird that, okay, you got super lucky and okay, we're also going to give you this huge boon. But I'm going off memory here. I think it wasn't just confined to fighters. I think fighter subclasses, so paladins and rangers, could also roll on that. Um, As far as the one other place where there was a differentiation wasn't in dexterity. It was in constitution. Non-fighter classes were limited to a plus two on hit point adjustments for high constitution. So even if you had a 17 or 18, you were still just at plus two for hit points if you were, say, a thief or a cleric or a druid or whatever, a magic user. But the fighter, ranger, paladin could all get plus three at with a 17 con, plus four with an 18 con. Again, I'm going off my memory here, but I think that's true. Uh, Swords and Wizardry uh, has a pretty interesting idea, and I'm guessing it comes from OD&D, in that only fighters get bonuses for high strength in combat, in melee combat. And they also say you should use it for missile weapons. Uh, They don't go into this, like, exceptional strength thing, but, uh, but there's a little column that Matt Finch writes in Swords and Wizardry, why should I bother playing a fighter or a cleric? And this is one of the things that he says you should consider, is just just plain single class, or, you know, fighters get bonuses for high strength. Um, that's, that's an interesting idea. In Swords and Wizardry, they also get a parry adjustment, or they can parry uh, with high dexterity. And maybe that's where you're thinking of, or maybe that comes from OD and I'm really no expert at all, or <laughs> not even not even. Uh, I'm vaguely familiar with OD and We'll put it that way. So I mean, yeah, those are, are certainly things that you could explore to try and make the fighter 
to even up the playing field, so to speak, to make it worthwhile to play the human fighter. Uh, but unless you really play up cultural differences in your game and say that dwarves, you know, there are some kind of prejudices against them or some other kind of setbacks socially or something, um, which I don't really like playing up so much in my games and I think can create a lot of potential issues. It's just easier not to have that kind of stuff. Um, if player, if characters do have that kind of, uh, issue in the game, I'd rather just say, don't play them. <laughs> um, I don't, some people might like having that as a, as a challenge or something, but anyway, I, pr I prefer rather than having this separate ability score kind of things for various classes. I prefer just doing something simple like fighters get plus one to hit at first level. No one else does. And only fighters, maybe only fighters can get critical hits. Or like I do, uh, if you roll a 20, an at 20, as a fighter, you get another attack. Uh, no one else gets that. So those little things help even up the uh, the fact that dwarves are so much better <laughs> in BX. But yeah, that but what you propose certainly you could you could hammer out a workable solution there. It's just a matter. It's a fine line when you start like tipping the scales. So maybe you tip it too far and make the fighters like way too good. Um, it sounds like, um, yeah, I won't even go there because <laughs> I was going to say it almost sounds like that listening to the guys that are, are playing OD&D with a chain mail for combat. It almost sounds like the fighters are too good in that, but, uh, but of course in that there aren't rangers or paladins or anything like that to really have to, um, balance them out with there. It's more like balancing it out with the cleric and the magic user and stuff. But yeah, again, I don't know anything really about that stuff, so I'll, put a zipper on it, and we'll move on to the last call from Spencer, also known as uh, Free Thrall from the Keep Off the Borderlands podcast. Take it away, Spencer. Hey, Rob, Spencer here. Firstly, I want to offer my condolences for the loss of your furry co-host, Herm. Um, and, uh, well, let's hope that 2023 has some better things to offer us all. Um, I also wanted to comment on your Christmas presents. Great selection of things there. The white box, um, which uh, I've been a fan of for quite some time. Cairn, which is a great little uh, fantasy hack of Into the Odd. And the Dungeon Dozen, a marvellous uh, gonzo book full of uh, just mad wonders um, and that's a great tip too sharing your wish list with your spouse on amazon i must remember to do that myself hey thanks for the call spencer i appreciate it and i appreciate the condolences from you and jason and daniel as well that's uh yeah it's it's rough not having my little buddy here with me podcasting chiming in with his two cents every once in a while. Um, those of us who do uh, love dogs and cats and other pets too, um, 
they do become part of the family. I think especially for someone like me, I don't have children. So a lot of my love and affection gets poured into my, my animal companions. Um, you know, the, where other people have that with, have that relationship with their children. Um, so they, yeah, I think they become a larger role for me and Mary and other people that don't have kids and stuff or, um, it's, (laughs) I'll, I'll share. I'm, I always find it curious when I hear someone say that they don't like dogs or don't like, like cats. I, I, I'm naturally suspicious of those people. <laughs> I'll, I'll confess it. Uh, I can uh, I can totally understand, uh, especially if you have like an allergy or something, why you wouldn't want to have a pet. Or um, you know, there's lots of reasons not to have a dog or a cat. But for someone just to not like them, unless they just don't like uh, noisy creatures or dealing with uh, you know cleaning a litter box or picking up after dogs, uh, out in the yard and stuff. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of unpleasantness that goes on with it too, but, uh, yeah, it's, as a animal lover, it's really hard for me to understand people not loving animals. Um, (laughs) uh, I, I don't, I don't get that. And I, I wonder if some of those are, opinions are formed by people that have never had them in their lives. So it's so as a, a kid, we always had a dog and, uh, we had cats too on our farm, but they were more, you know, farm cats and stuff. They weren't really the cuddly sorts. You'd play with them and stuff, but they, they didn't live in the house or anything. It was only when I moved out of the my parents' house and got apartments of my own and stuff where they didn't allow dogs that I started having cats and discovered that cats were, um, could be just as much of a companion as dogs. Anyway, um, I really appreciate, uh, the kind words that you all had for that. And, um, it's something that Mary and I are still kind of trying to come to terms with and coping with. I think we both have moments where we, wonder you know you kind of forget that he's gone and you kind of expect to see him or something and it's uh yeah no fun no fun at all um hmm. yeah the the gifts i got for christmas karen white box dungeon dozen they're all cool i haven't really uh delved into them too much i've been focusing on working on my planet eris campaign here and i really want to get that started i'm hoping maybe february i'll start running that or something i gotta talk to keith and the guys and see when a good transition point will be to switch over to my game for a while um and um yeah so that's been kind of the focus of my attention daniel if you do run a planet Eris game i i I hope you do because i think it would be fun to kind of share our thoughts and experiences on that and if anyone else i know a few people did pick up the planet eris uh source book so if anyone wants to have some planet eris chats i think that would be cool maybe keith and i will have that because yeah keith was uh part of the um editing and whatever and (laughs) and providing some additional ideas and stuff to that supplement with uh, working with jim 
and what last but not yeah sharing the i sharing gift ideas uh, your like amazon box i don't know why i didn't think about that before um but uh there are a lot of products that you can get there. Uh, I suspect you can do that with like drive through RPG and stuff too. But I used to just give Mary like, here's some things that you could go to the source and pick up for me. And, um, and she'd <laughs> bless her, do it. Um, she'd often go over there and try and find it. They've got a really helpful staff there, but I'm sure there aren't, uh, not every town, city, whatever has a really good, uh, game store, hobby store, whatever with, with staff that would be so helpful and stuff. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I guess it's a lot easier to, to just click a few buttons on Amazon than to go to the game store and shop. But, uh, anyway, yeah, sorry for the bait and switch. I will definitely start the OSE advanced deep dive in the next few days with another podcast episode. I just don't want to tack it onto this long rambly mess that I've created all on my part, not, not the callers at all. Uh, but yeah, this is just, uh, probably a little too long to start the advanced OSE deep dive and we'll start fresh with a, uh, brand new episode in the next few days. So thanks to Jason, Daniel, Pink Phantom, and Spencer for your calls. Thanks for listening. Hoping everyone has uh, a great new year and uh, gets a lot of gaming in, has uh, continued health, good health, or improving health, or whatever, good cheer, and fun, and finds plenty of leisure time to go along with uh, the work lives and all that stuff. So yeah, I'll just shut up now, and thanks for listening, and until I talk to you again, don't go down in a heap.